Hey, tennis fans, you are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. Our thanks for 10XTO, the official athletic club of Matchpoint Canada for this week's episode, our Roland Garros mid-tournament report. Yes, we are halfway through the 2022 French Open. And uh, Mike, I guess let's just dive right in because a lot has transpired, especially over the weekend with our Canadians. I think Leila Annie Fernandez in the women's side, a perfect uh, place to begin as she's off to her first ever quarterfinal uh, in Paris. Yeah, Leila Annie Fernandez, who uh, won the French Open Juniors, which I think many of our listeners know back in 2019, uh, defeated 2019 semifinalist in the women's draw, Amanda Anisimova, in what was really a highly anticipated match between our 19-year-old Canadian, uh, a 20-year-old. I, I can't believe Anisimova is, is only 20 because it feels like she's been around a lot longer, but that just goes to show you how much hype she had at a young age. And mm-hmm. I kind of put this one at, I mean, I think a lot of people put this one at 50, 50 coming in. I gave Fernandez uh, the edge. I like how she's been playing. She came off a big win over Belinda Bencic and she seems to rise to the occasion often in these big tournaments. Uh, summer um, in terms of she's not intimidated by players who, while in this case, Anisimova isn't ranked higher. Um, I would say Nisimova is the more accomplished player as a professional on clay at this point in time. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, you mentioned the the 2019 result making semifinals and look, Anisimova had such a great start to this tournament, of course, taking out Naomi Osaka in a heavily anticipated first round match in, in straight sets. I thought she played great in Australia as well. Like she's been on a surge this season. Interesting about this match. It's two of the three youngest players inside the top 30. And, um, you know, very, very soon Anisimova is going to join that top 20 with, with Layla. But uh, so much poise, determination in these key, key moments. Layla opens winning the first set 6-3 and Isimova fights back, has to really earn that second set. Layla staved off a couple set points, one with a wicked forehand passing shot before Amanda closed out that second. And then Layla just gets, just kind of edges ahead in the third, hitting some incredible down the line forehands. I just think she's playing unreal tennis. And then if we start talking about what the women's draw looks like. It looks it's, pretty good. <laughs> it looks pretty open. I mean, we, we discussed this going in Iga versus the rest of the field. And that's what it feels like now. Nine of the top 10 seeds have fallen uh, through the first weekend change uh, in Paris here. So it is uh, an open draw. I'm so intrigued by the potential for a Layla Coco Goff encounter, maybe in the semis. I think that would be fantastic. We have Sloane Stevens suddenly surging and uh, Martina Trevisan, an Italian player, probably a lot of people don't know much about, but she's now reached quarterfinals of the French Open in consecutive years. That'll be the next opponent for Layla. So a a lot could happen here. And for me, Iga is still, still the player to beat. Yeah, and just to keep the focus on the bottom half of the draw and, and maintain our, our Canadian lens, which we can't help but do. But yeah, I'm feeling really good about Leila Annie's chances here. I mean, Trevis, I don't know a ton about the Italian. She's 28 years old. Uh, you did mention back-to-back quarters, so she's comfortable on clay. But to me, Leila Annie's got the momentum here coming off of a couple of big, big wins. And then you look at Coco Goff versus Sloane Stevens, um, which is going to be super exciting if you're an American tennis fan. Uh, sort of the the future and the... I don't want to say the past of American women's tennis because Sloan is still, you know, pretty, pretty young, all things considered. But Sloan, who hasn't been in her best form the past couple of years, but boy, big win over, over Teichman in that last one by a, a very good scoreline. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but but I'll take Layla over any of them. I mean, I'll take Layla over Sloane Stevens. She has such a positive head-to-head against Sloane, albeit I think most of those matches were on hard court. Um, I'd love to see her play Coco Goff. That would be a, a mouth-watering uh, matchup for Canadian and American, I mean, tennis fans in general. But I think Layla's got as much chance to make it to the finals here as any one of the other women that we just mentioned. And uh, could you imagine that, like French Open and U.S. Open finals within a year? We're getting ahead of ourselves, but... This is some pretty special stuff, even just to be in this conversation. And not to mention that Leilani is the first Canadian to make the quarterfinals in singles at Roland Garros since back in 2014, when both uh, Jeannie Bouchard and Milos Raonic, not a a clay court name that you would expect, but since they made the quarters of the French. So this is really great for Canadian tennis to have someone advance this far on the on the red dirt. Yeah, look, for for whatever reason, and, you know, it is more so hard courts than clay courts in Canada, though we do have clay in Canada in in various spots. Um, The slams where we've seen the most success as a nation, of course, have been, you know, Wimbledon, US Open, Australian Open as of late, we're we're making headway and making ground. Uh, The French Open has been, apart from juniors, a a spot where we haven't seen Canadians have this type of success. And so to see Layla now in the second week in the quarterfinals and as you mentioned uh, an open draw in front of her with a great opportunity to be playing for a spot in that final against you know another young incredibly talented teenager maybe in Coco if she gets past Travis Ann or Sloane Stevens who's who's been in a French Open final before um, you're, you're right this is this is a wonderful opportunity and an opening that I think she's keen to take and, and you look she must have some momentum from beating the quality of opponents she just defeated in Belinda Bencic who I think you and I both know is capable of playing top five level tennis and Amanda Anisimova who was on a such a run uh, before before falling to Layla in in the round of 16. Yeah, for sure. And uh, Leila Annie, we know her as uh, very humble, but very confident. You know, you can be both yeah. at the same time. Um, and this week, I've heard a couple of comparisons to uh, Rafa Nadal in terms of her mentality on the court, fighting point for point doesn't uh, point for point doesn't matter if it's the, the first point of the match or match point, you're going to get the same thing from her in terms of her approach, which is so incredible for her young age. And, uh, you know, she's been dubbed Clayla. Uh, Fernandez I think that was Steve Weissman that came up with that who yeah. incidentally was our our guest last week but uh, I like the name and I'm hoping that it uh, brings her uh, some some more success as we go through this draw it's been great to watch and she's the last Canadian standing in singles we'll talk about Felix in a few moments on the men's side um, I guess we should also talk uh, Gabby Dabrowski uh, a bit of a surprise I think what, what do you think in the doubles draw here yeah look we we know she was playing some fantastic tennis, obviously leading in and making uh, finals of Rome, winning Madrid for the first time in her career, really gelling with Juliana almost. So I, I think we had some high hopes, but uh, of course, Yelena Ostapenko, who we know Gabby has partnered with in the past in doubles, uh, her and her Ukrainian partner um, overcoming Dabrowski and almost and a tough three setter in the third round. So now it's Gabby going to be leaning in on mixed with uh, John Pears, the Australian, very good doubles player. They're they're seated third. They're into the quarterfinals, so there's still an opportunity there. I think for Gabby, um, you never know in this second week if she can go on on a run in mixed. Yeah, I was getting really excited about the prospects of her getting another uh, doubles Grand Slam, women's doubles Grand Slam, just because of how much um, you know momentum she was coming in with 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 almost. They were the third seeds. They were seated so high. I really felt like this was going to click for them. And, and uh, so it was shocking to me that they went out uh, in the third round. But as you mentioned, alive in the mixed doubles, 
And Erin uh, Routliff, we should also mention, uh, still alive as well. She's the uh, Canadian Kiwi, uh, who, again, we had on not too long ago on yep. Matchpoint Canada. And she's into round three and has been playing the best doubles of her career at the age of, I think, 27. Career high ranking, uh, pushing into the top 30 almost on the WTA rankings. Yeah, very, very impressive. I, I guess before we shift over to the men's and, and you can take the lead there, Iga Sviantek, 31 matches and counting I, I suppose we shouldn't gloss over that just given how incredibly impressive it is and you're almost trying to nitpick and find out like where she can go wrong here if she's had a tough challenge her first couple of matches were so kind of easy and routine she beat Serenko and Risk um, in succession only dropping two games in both of them Donka Kavinic has been her toughest test in a while and that was six three seven five and we were sort of speaking about it as a test because she trailed five four in the second set but really i mean when we're talking about her winning a set seven five and suggesting well ego is really tested in this one that goes to show you that the type of dominance and confidence she's playing with on the court that she just looks better than the rest of the field right now and you know, I'm looking maybe Jessica Pagula in the quarterfinals could pose a challenge. Uh, but we we're kind Madison. of drawing for straws, eh? When we say that, like we're kind of grasping at <laughs> straws. Like, exactly. Okay, who, who could give her a challenge? Oh, yeah, maybe, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah, Madison Keys is still there, which uh, we should point out, like, the American women are having a very good tournament on the women's side. Uh, Coco Goff and Sloan both into the quarters, impressive. And then Keys and Pagula on the top half with the chance to reach the quarter. So, so kudos for to American tennis playing some, some quality tennis on the women's side on clay. I just, I can't see anybody from the top half really getting in the way of Sviantek right now with the way she's playing. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the stats are staggering. I'm not going to quote them all here for you, but if you go to the um, WTA website, Courtney Wynn had a, a very nice article about all the milestones and, and the, the records and, and just the numbers of Iga Sviantek the past few months. And, She's joining an illustrious club along with Venus Williams, Justine Hennon, and Serena Williams as the only uh, female players to have a win streak of, of 30 consecutive or more matches in singles play. And so that's pretty impressive going back the past 22 years anyways. Um, I look at the draw. I, I don't see anyone who's going to beat her top or bottom uh, unless, I don't know, like, again... If you're going out on a limb, what about someone like a Camila Georgie who just doesn't give a crap? You know what I mean? Like she just steps <laughs> Free on swinger. and she doesn't care. She's just going to blast her way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, remember Wimbledon a few years ago, she gave Serena a scare. Yeah. She destroyed Sabalenka in the last two sets of their third round encounter. I mean, what about someone like her who's a bit of a wild card? Because I don't even think she knows what to expect from herself out there. Yeah, they, hey, that's that's as good a pick as, as any, I, I will say. So uh, we'll see if the field can possibly stop Ego. We'll see how far Layla gets. You are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. Find us on Twitter at Matchpoint Can. Find us on Instagram at Matchpoint Canada. We're also on YouTube and Facebook. Uh, look, men's-wise, we've had one, I think, terrific result, even though it, it turned into a round of 16 loss, and then one disappointing result in, in Denis Shapovalov. I'll, I'll let you take the lead on what, what Felix accomplished, though, this past week in Paris. Yeah, these are our two guys. There's no Milos, no Vashik in the French Open draw, so it came down to Denis and, and Felix. And uh, another early flame-out for Denis Shapovalov, who's uh, been a little bit perplexing this year. But as you mentioned, let's start with Felix because he's proven his clay court skills uh, by getting to the fourth round for the first time. And remarkably to me, never been past the first round at Roland Garros before. I, I know we don't have a huge sample size for him, but that did shock me a little bit. I had to remind myself that he, he hadn't won a match yet in singles here. 
And then he gets Rafa Nadal so early in the tournament. And I don't know if you want to face Rafa, is it better to get him in the first week or the second week? I don't know if there's ever a good time to get him. And, uh, and what an interesting dynamic just coming into the match. You've got, first of all, Uncle Tony, who coached uh, you know his nephew Rafa for so many years. They decided in 2017 that that was going to be an end to their official partnership. Uncle Tony, who's been helping Felix out for the past couple of years, talk about putting him in an awkward position. I believe he was watching from a neutral location, although he left the site after the fourth set. I guess he just couldn't take the, 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 the could you imagine being in that position? The current yeah. charge that you're, you know, supporting and, and trying to help mold into a great player against the player that you help get to such great heights and at the tournament where he's the most well-known. So I, I thought that must've put him in such a conflicting position, although he did say he wasn't going to reveal any of Rafa's weaknesses or any of the secrets to Felix. But after you watch the first set, you, you might have started thinking, whoa, did Uncle Tony share something here or not? Because it was a good start for Felix. It was it was a great start. And uh, I think that that matches specifically the first set. Felix seemed to overtake Rafa a little bit after Nadal um, did not convert opportunities on break point. Felix sort of snuffed those out and, and was clutch in the big moments. Suddenly he gets the break ahead 4-1, 5-2, and, and uh, it, it's Rafa under pressure and Look, I, I think we know if you're going to beat Nadal at the French Open or beat him on clay, you have to win that first set. And, and Felix was was very strong out of the gates. Nadal, I, I think after that third set, we think he's come back 6-3, now 6-2, playing really strong in the third. We, we felt like he had a handle, but Felix um, was really unwavering. You know, he, he was not quitting. He was not getting down on himself. We talk about how even-keeled he was, and I thought he his serve was just fantastic in this match. A uh, 70% first serve clip, um, saving... 16 break points out of 22. Uh, that's a, a really strong rate against a player like Rafa, who's of course such a good returner and hitting his spots and dictating with his forehand. So Rafa really at the end in that final fifth set, if you saw the past last three games, Nadal just took his game to that, that kind of unreachable level that we sometimes see rifling forehands down the line, being so aggressive and Felix impressed basically said like, I didn't feel like I played a bad game in the fifth. He, he just raised his level. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned that to beat Nadal on clay at, at the, the French Open, you really got to take that first set. But even that's not enough. You almost you have to take the first two sets, maybe to almost make it 50-50, I feel like. Yeah. I saw someone on, on Twitter, I think it was Bastion Fashion, who who tweeted that Nadal has won over 80% of his matches at Roland Garros, where he's lost the first set, which is just absurd. I mean, how many players can say something like that at a slam? I don't know if there's any. The guy can give you the opening set. Yeah. And you still have less than a 20% chance of winning the match. I mean, how deflating is that? Yeah, that's uh, that's well said. But for me, I think this has to be another big um, step forward for Felix. I, I think it's a bit similar to the way he played against Medvedev at the Australian Open, where it was a loss. But you look at the loss in the context of the way he played, how close he was that Felix is getting closer and closer to these top players. He played Novak in a tight two sets in Rome, 7-5, 7-6. Now he pushes Rafa, the best ever on clay, to five sets. He pushed Medvedev, who was briefly world number one, to five sets, had a match point on his favorite surface. He can hang with these big guns that you wonder, maybe that time is just around the corner where he gets one of these huge victories. Yeah, you feel he's trending upwards, and unfortunately, let's talk briefly anyways about Denis Shapovalov, who I feel like is trending in the other direction. I mean, I really don't know what to make of him. He goes 
you know, if we go back to March, he goes one and two on hard courts in the Sunshine Double, which is very disappointing. He loses to old man Murray on clay in Madrid, which again, that also surprised me. This isn't the Andy Murray of, you know, days, days of old. Then he beats Sonego, Basilashvili, pardon me, Tough name. and Nadal in Rome. And you're suddenly thinking, oh, okay, wait a minute. Yeah, maybe uh, French Open runs in the cards. And then back-to-back first-round losses in Geneva and now in Paris against the up-and-coming 19-year-old Afinam uh, Holgerun. So um, I, I, I saw upset all over this first-round match. It didn't surprise me that he went down. It did surprise me he went down in straight sets. And I mean, I ask you, Ben, like, how are you feeling about him? Because to me, I'm scratching my head as much as I ever have. I, I'm I, I'm definitely with you, uh, especially puzzling is, you know, hearing about the new coaching edition in Jamie Delgado, it being so incredibly short lived and cutting the cord mid clay season. Um, so I don't know why that fell through. Peter Polanski has joined the team officially as coach, but we haven't really seen the dividends there. And yeah, as you said, look, Holgerun is a very strong young player. I think he has great, great potential, but Shapovalov, I just felt wasn't even competitive in this match. You look at the first two sets, six, three, six, one, um, a very brief pushback in the third where he got it to a tie break, but Rune kind of clearly got nervous trying to serve it out. Shapovalov finished with over 50 unforced errors in this match. And he kind of blatantly said after the loss, like, I don't think my level would have beaten most most of the field today. Uh, so he's he's aware. At, at least I will say that he's he's not playing ex- an acceptable level of tennis to to compete at the highest level. But I, we need to see some type of change. He's so sort of volatile, though. You, you look at the upcoming grass court season, and would we be stunned if he suddenly goes at a, on a run at Wimbledon again? We've seen the level of tennis he can play there on grass. Yeah, that's the thing. And I don't know, for Dennis, I think it's more between the ears. The talent is there. It's, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah, you can't argue against what he, what he brings in terms of his skill set. But I think, you know, you look at some Canadian players like Bianca Andreescu, who's really talked about working on the mental side of her game and whether it be meditation or, um, you know, talking things out, self-belief, self-motivation. I mean, I feel like Dennis could benefit from that. And that's not to say I don't know if he's already, you know, kind of trying to work on that side of things. But it, it seems to me like like he's at a stage where he could benefit from from some help in that regard. Um, I mean, you want to get into the, the conversation of being a, a member of the top 10. You look at the, the the big three and 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 just how they've you know operated over the years, and uh, I mean there's a lot for for him and many other players I should also say uh, to learn it. At least Dennis is within stone's throw of the top ten, right? It's not yeah. like all is lost and he's sliding out of the top thirty or forty, but it just doesn't seem like things are really trending in the right direction lately for him. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk uh, about the highly anticipated match, depending on when you listen to this, Djokovic Nadal for the 59th time. Uh, in the quarterfinals at Roland Garros. They haven't played since last year's Roland Garros semifinal. Now they meet around earlier, unfortunately for us, or fortunately for tennis fans who get to enjoy this blockbuster, a little sooner than anticipated. Uh, Djokovic leads the head-to-head 30-28 to by the slimmest of margins. He's got a bunch of wins against Rafa Anclay as well, and he's coming in much more rested than what Rafa had to endure against Felix Auger-Aliassime. Yeah, I think for, for Nole fans, they should be the most excited uh, about this prospective matchup as they've ever been on clay, uh, given that, as you said, Djokovic is in great form. He just won Rome. Nadal, for the most part, missed um, so much of his clay court season, didn't have his lead up where he was kind of winning everything and dominating and gaining that confidence. 
Nadal and the chronic foot injury is lingering. And then just the way Djokovic handled the first week, he didn't drop a set. Very, very clean tennis. Um, very solid against Diego Schwartzman. He is the player uh, in, in stronger, fresher form. Well, Nadal just had to endure over four hours um, beating Felix Ojeda-Aliassime. So I I'm, want to say it would probably be fair to, to lean the cards slightly towards Djokovic, but then you have the the factor of Rafa at Roland Garros. What does it mean to beat him? I mean, we saw Djokovic basically had to play the clay court match of his life to do so last year. So is it going to take that same monumental effort to do it again? And will either one of these 35-year-olds have anything left in the tank, no matter who wins it, against then an 18, or sorry, now 19-year-old, uh, you know, perhaps Carlos Alcaraz right. in the semis, and then someone like a Stefano Tsitsipas, you know, potentially in the finals. So what's going to be left for these old guys if they, you know, absolutely beat the crap out of each other in, in a five-set classic, which would be great for us to watch, not so great for whoever emerges victorious there. Yeah, look, um, that that's playing a huge factor and, and why you saw so many pe- pundits, I think, pick Carlos Alcaraz. They thought, okay, maybe Nadal and Djokovic are going to beat each other up in the quarters and Alcaraz will be fresher if he does get through uh, Sasha Zverev in, in his matchup. And you look at the bottom half, so open. Daniil Medvedev, I will say, played a great first week of tennis, but he missed his clay court season, essentially. He has Chilich. Andre Rublev and Yannick Sinner, I think they're both great, great players. I don't think we're really viewing them as slam contenders yet. And then it's Stefano Tsitsipas for me is, the, is that guy who he was in the French Open finals last year. He has wins over the big three. He's beaten top guys before on the big stage. There is a great opening for him. I, I think if he can, you know, I, I expect him to dispatch Holger Room probably. Maybe he meets Kasper Ruud in a quarterfinal, but there's there's a clear, nice path for him to be in the final. And if he's fresh and healthy in the final and you have an exhausted old Nadal or Joker, who knows? Could get interesting. Could get interesting. I'm hoping it gets interesting. You know, I don't really, to be perfectly honest with you, I'm not, I don't really have like a one guy that I want to see emerge as champion. Yeah. But I just like how it's going to play out. It looks like a lot of interesting possibilities. And let's not discount some of those guys in the bottom half. There's some great tennis players down there. Casper is very strong. Yep. Sinner, I think, is, is a future Grand Slam champion. Yes. Um, so it's going to be interesting how it plays out uh, for sure there. Um, we're a little bit tight on time to end. So what do you want to end with? What, uh, what other item would you most like to, well, I will give, give kudos to just a fantastic career for Joe Wilfried Sanga. Uh, it was an emotional farewell. It was a shame he got injured in his final match, um, and sort of had to take a bow uh, out sort of against Casper He played out the final fourth set tiebreak, but lost at 7-0 and didn't really have the strength behind his shots. But beautiful moment um, on court. Casper was so respectful, by the way, post-match in, in front of the fans. He's becoming one of those like super classy, nice guys. He's a little bit like Felix, honestly. Rude is one of the most likable players right now on tour, I believe. And Sanga, you know, fantastic career. Australian Open Finals, big wins over Rafa, Federer, Novak on, on big stages. And um, I'm I'm glad he could finish out his career in Paris. Yeah, unfortunately, a career that uh, a lot of injuries in recent years. Yes. Reminds me in some ways of kind of like Adele Potro in terms of what could he have done if he had been able to stay healthy a little bit longer. Uh, my best memory from him was 2014 here in Toronto when he won the then Rogers Cup, now National Bank Open against Roger Federer on center court. And uh, just a very likable, likable guy. So, uh, you know, and part of a contingent of French players that really gave France a lot to be excited about on the men's side for, for many, many years with Monfils, with Gasquet and Gilles Simon, who is also uh, calling it a career this year.
Yeah, yeah. So I'm glad they did it uh, in front of their fans at Roland Garros. Guys, thanks for listening. You've been listening to Matchpoint Canada. Our thanks uh, for this episode to 10XTO, the official athletic club of Matchpoint Canada. We will talk to you next time. 